Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. Because they put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure this is math. Tom? <laughs> Robert? Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, let's go! How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So, here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. Just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. I remember that. You've got a model. I've seen the future. And it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mel Herbert here for Talking Tesla 47. All energy is solar energy. Now, we had some issues at the front, um, but we've fixed them now. A couple of uh, Skype problems because, you know, Rob is not here in studio. He's on the East Coast. But Tom was here and I was here and then we Skyped in, Rob. And so here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about SpaceX and all the wonderful things that they've been doing in just the last week. There are 27 successful for 28 tries, right? We had one explode, unfortunately, little maybe a year ago, was it? And then this launch, they recovered the first stage. And this was their sixth recovery out of 11 tries. And they've been going straight. They've recovered, uh, what, the last four in a row? Last, I think it was. What the hell is that ding? Was that that was dinging. But at the, at the same time, if I shut it off, I guess maybe I can put on another set of headphones. Why don't you just shut off your mail, which is what that ding was, probably. Close mail. That's a fantastic idea, Tom. I have to get you to help me with a few other tech you've issues. Got, you've got mail. <laughs> we don't give a fuck if you've got mail. <laughs> Not a, It can't start again. Okay. We yeah. got a lot of letters about it, Mel. Yeah. Well, let me just say this right now before Robert goes further into the details of the SpaceX launch, which is um, the reason that this is either going to just be swearing without beeping or no swearing is because it takes so long <laughs> to get rid of all those F-bombs since I'm editing it. It took me hours and hours. There were so many. And I just had a lot of self-loathing because of it. Yeah. I'm like, who was the idiot who's swearing so that I have to spend the next 15 hours doing this? So either I'm just going to bomb away and yeah. you're going to get used to it. It's going to get an explicit tag. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to learn how to get agitated without swearing you know what i learned about last week in your editing that you edited your f-bombs but not mine and robert's there was one time <laughs> where we all three f-bombed and i only edited out one Which i can't be your... held responsible for being an editor i'm useless <laughs> now back to spacex okay so we've done a lot of launches we've got a lot of them back you've got some more stats here and info go roberto sixth successful recovery of the first stage and you know they're having a hard time because the garage is full. They've. Uh, I thought this uh, launch, which is covered, there's a YouTube podcast by SpaceX, and I really encourage people to watch it or let your kids watch it if you want them to be encouraged and excited about engineering and space travel and all that goes with it. Because they're they're actually turning these podcasts or these webcasts into really educational events. They talk about 
much more detail about the different stages, what they're trying to accomplish, the challenges of their accomplishments, and they they send up uh, they put out some really great graphics about how the propellant was used during the flight and how they have to leave so much propellant to get it back to a drone ship versus getting it back to land on Cape Canaveral. Um, sort of like I just put down here that uh, the drone ship operation, this one guy at, at 18 minutes, 15 seconds into the, into the um, uh, webcast talks about what, where they push position it in the Atlantic, how they orient it towards the waves, how they're trying to keep the pitch and the roll to a minimum, how they use thrusters on the corners of the, of the drone ship to keep it exactly positioned based on GPS and that there's no connection between the drone ship and the returning stage one. They're all just hitting the same GPS coordinates. And, uh, and it's really, I thought it was really cool. Did you guys watch it? I didn't watch this one. I've watched all of the other ones. I haven't gotten around to this one yet, but it seems to me like science fiction. This is the stuff that I grew up watching on uh, the telly, on um, Star Trek. On all of it, they're landing these rockets in the ocean on a barge, for goodness sake, that's sent a satellite into space. I can't believe it's happening. And Elon said that they'll know that they're done, they're finished, they've completed uh, what they've tried to achieve when this is boring, just like when the moon missions became boring. He wants this to get so good that people don't even care. Oh, so yeah, they landed another rocket. We do that all the time. Is it boring to you yet? Because it's not boring to me. It's not boring to me. And yes, I did watch it, Robert, to answer your question. I thought it was awesome. I did. I watched it after the fact. I watched the YouTube feed. Uh, that they they because it was past your bedtime put up no because I was watching the Olympics. Oh, so it, it is boring to you. The Olympics is more interesting. When it happened, well, the Olympics happens every four years. This is happening every four weeks. So it's boring to you. Yeah, that's why I wrote ho hum so, another perfect. So he's done it. It's boring to tell me he's finished here. <laughs> My work here is Ro- done, Robert. What was this? Uh, who was this launch dedicated to? This launch was dedicated to Kenny Baker. And I thought that was really sweet at the end. They dedicated it to him. And, of course, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, he was the small guy in R2-D2. He was R2-D2. Oh, that's exciting. I didn't know that, actually, until he died, which is sad. You I didn't, didn't know, know who Kenny was in, Baker was I in R2-D2? I didn't know there was somebody inside R2-D2. There's somebody in C-3PO, too. Also, someone in Darth Vader, although not the voice that you hear. Did you know Also, that? somebody... Somebody uh, in Yoda. So basically, these guys, the, the, I think the learning point here is don't wear a mask. If you're an actor, you'll get paid a lot more money. There's nobody inside Yoda. Yoda's real. Everybody knows that. What are you saying? Yoda's real. <laughs> he is real. Tom, do you want to talk about how much money they've saved? They saved a lot. So according to uh, reports... They have, have <laughs> what are you? They have recovered. We have reports. six successful first stages for a total of fifty-four engines saved, which is a lot of engines not in the oceans. I don't know how impressive you think that is, but they build these engines over there in Hawthorne, down the street. Uh, yeah, and they haven't put them in the ocean. They're they've caught they've captured them and they're like two million bucks a pop. They think the whole first stage costs around thirty million dollars. So that's one hundred and eighty million dollars not dumped into the ocean. Elon described it uh, best when he said to the team, "I want you to think about these rockets of pallets of cash, <laughs> thirty million dollars pallets of cash." 
you'd want to put some effort into catching that before it landed in the ocean. So next year they want to launch these things 24 times. If they capture every one of them, $720 million not in the ocean. I'm no. That's a specifically large amount of money. I'm no math genius, but $750 million is a lot of dollars. It's a lot of dollars. It's almost it's approaching a billion dollars. That's it's like 0.72 of a billion dollars. <laughs> it's just off the top of my head. It's 72% of a billion, billion. and everybody knows a billion is a lot of dollars. It's been a great segment. <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. All right, let's move on. Good work, SpaceX, to all the people down there, to our friends, everybody. Good work. What I do like about that feed, Robert, that you were talking about is that um, they're specifically bringing out young engineers. I, I see my son watching it, and he gets excited about it. He's thinking about engineering. And they bring out the girl engineers, and I think it's doing a really a nice job of saying, you know, you can be young and hip and a woman – and help fly shit into space. As long as you're willing to work 20 hours a day at SpaceX. One moment, please. I'm going to go kill the fucking dog. Oh, snap. So how are you doing, Tom? What are you driving these days? I'm driving a 1992 Lexus ES300. Is that what I saw you in last time? That is correct. I bought. I went and drove another RAV4 over the weekend. And well, don't tell me. I guess you'll tell the show. It had the same noise. I, I don't want to talk about it on the show anymore. I'll talk about it for two seconds, but... It basically had the same noise, a little bit louder. It's kind of starting to piss me off. I'm this close to buying, to leasing a Leaf for three years for free. I'm this close, that close. It'd be great. Oh, why don't we be in that discussion? Well, you know, I brought, so Mel should actually see this. I brought my special microphone to fit on my phone. Right? I jammed this into my pack, my luggage so that I could interview people here for talking Tesla. And guess how many Teslas I've seen? Zero. Now one. Oh, one. You've seen one. How many Look. superchargers are out there, Robert? On the Cape? One. How many stalls does it have, Robert? Eight. That's so that good. one Tesla is like really happy. He's like, woohoo, I'm park around the lot. He like got a letter from Elon saying, could you just go to each one of them every once in a while just to make sure they're all working for us? That's funny. Don't stay on one. So let's go back uh, since you started talking while I was away trying to stop the dog. Sorry. How dare you? So what's happening with the RAV4? No RAV4? No RAV4. I went and drove another one. It had that same high pitch whine. I'm concerned that it could potentially be something that is just happening when they sit for a while, but I don't know. I have no idea. I didn't like the high pitch whine. I've driven, so far of the three that I've driven, only one of them hasn't had it. And you crashed that one. And I crashed. No, no, no. No, that, that would be the fourth one then. The three <laughs> okay. that I drove on the on the car lots, the th- they all had the wine, although one of them was much lower. Unfortunately, that one was silver. So like I was telling Robert, I am this close, How close to just leasing a Nissan Leaf Model S for three years and walking away. Because I think in three years, imagine what the landscape's going to be like in three years. And that car, while it's not doesn't have everything I want, doesn't have navigation, the S, doesn't have uh, the leather seats. Okay, who cares, right? It's two hundred bucks a month. It's doesn't got eighty-seven mile range. Let's what and and no maintenance for three years. What what am I doing here? I'm with you. It's basically having a free car. That's what I'm talking about. Will it get you far enough though? Yeah. Where where's the furthest you're going to drive that car? Realistically, in your day-to-day commute. I mean, if I had to go in my day-to-day commute, the farthest that car will go is Oak Park, which is not very far. It's so. like twenty miles there and twenty miles back. 
Yeah. Right. More more than fine. I mean, again, I, I never, just, I'm saying that it's uh, not that dissimilar than the RAV on most days when it was charged. It was like around 87. I mean, I could get it to 100 if but I. But you won't get 87. I guess the point is that you will right. not get 87. You'll be feel really comfortable going 60. I'll get 87 probably for the most part because they have some new battery technology on that thing. It's 27. Is this the new one? Yeah, the 2016. Oh, you're talking the 2016. Because they have a $200 a month no down lease. I could walk in right now and get a 2016 Model S for $199 a month out the door. Model S Leaf. Model S Leaf. Yeah, they have three trim models, an S, an SV, and an SL. The SL has the leather seats and the navigation. The S has a milk crate and um, and, a, and a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> really it's a it's a it's a chicken that tells you which way to go but it's still a chicken that sounds uh it's so cheap do it tom do really it cheap. and then you'll get your model three in two years from now will i though is it going to be forty two thousand dollars is that what the model three is going to no, cost it's going to be thirty seven thousand dollars but by the time you finish with it and got the stuff you want it's going to be forty two thousand right it's going to be 42 there's going to be no incentives left on it, it might right, be for the most it's possible part, but not many not many of them are going to have You just need one. You don't need many. But but that <laughs> but then the question is at that point are going there'll be a ton of S's that may or may not have autopilot, right? For the same price. Like would you buy a used S or a new 3? Um it's that's very interesting to me because you're right because by the time the model 3 comes out Let's say it's $40,000-ish about where you want it. There'll be a ton of S's that are $40,000. Yeah. Some of them will have Autopilot 1, which we're going to get to Autopilot 2 in just a second. Yeah. Some of them will have no Autopilot, and I suspect will be less than $40,000. Because right now, you're saying we can get uh, Model S. 47. 47. Two years from now, it'll be the same price as a Model 3, potentially less. It'll be very interesting as to what to do it's a bigger car so maybe you'll buy it on the form factor but um it'll be the same price there'll be a glut a veritable glut of uh, teslas on the road it'll be very exciting and you know why that's upsetting to me why supercharging what supercharging there's gonna be model s's everywhere i have a a, i have a point that i made later on on the on our sheet but i'll make it now because you brought it up so let's say there's a situation where they they just approved the 100d right yes and that car over the 100D battery, that car over 300 miles. So let's say for the average person, so you can get from LA to, uh, I'm sorry, you can get from LA to San Francisco with 381 miles, theoretically. You can get from LA to Vegas, 269 miles. You can get from New York to DC, 226 miles. There's a situation that we're getting to where a lot of the big battery cars won't need to use superchargers to get to their destinations. What is? How does that make you feel? As the battery packs get more and more range, the need for supercharging goes down. You are just jumping around all over the place willy-nilly, so let's give us the background there. So we've just heard that Europe has okayed a 100-kilowatt battery pack. This is what you're talking about. Yes. And that range in that 100-kilowatt uh, battery pack is going to put the Model S way over 300 miles because it's right around 300 miles now. Correct. So, so it should bring it up to, you know, uh, 330-ish mm-hmm. by the American standard. By the European standard, it apparently can ro- drive around the world. <laughs> they have very lax standards. And uh, the Model X to about 300. So you're right. If I can now have a car... For me, for example, and I want to drive to Vegas, and I can basically go the entire way 
with a 330-mile Model S without stopping, that's pretty cool. And I just destination charge at the end. I don't need the supercharger at all. I like what you're saying. But we'll still need a how much load? A load of superchargers because there's going to be so many Model 3s. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Would you... Would you uh, like to have a car that has 350 miles range, Tom? Yes. Uh, Robert, what about you? Most definitely. Although, are you willing to pay an extra $10,000 to pick up another 33 miles? Right. So we've talked about this a lot, and I think that number will come down. But I think, what's the sweet spot for you? Here we go, Tom. Um, Price is no object. Uh, Well, it is an object, but it's not too big an object. You can get a Model S... Let's say there's a car out there, uh, $50,000, and it does everything you want to do, and it has 250-mile real-world range, sort of like the Model S is right now. Uh, how much more would you pay for a car that would get 400-mile range? Like, what's it worth to you to get a car that basically you can drive all day without uh, charging? And you're talking about, like, any car I want, so it could be a four-wheel drive yeah. truck. Yeah, whatever whatever you want. I don't know. I the might, base I is might... 50 I'm going to give you, and it's 250 I mean, I guess miles. I'd go to 60, but I don't know that I actually right. would. Like, I can say that in this show, yes. but I'm not sure I could say that while sitting in a dealer showroom writing a check. All right, Robert, same scenario. You've got a car that goes 250 miles. It's about $50,000. I can give you the same car and the same fork factor that goes 400 miles. How much more would you pay for that? I'd say ten grand. Ten grand. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Through through the uh, an act of science, we've determined uh, that an extra hundred and fifty miles is worth ten thousand dollars. We can't do that yet. What's it worth to you? Ten thousand seems like a good number. That and basically, it's the number of not having to supercharge on the way to Vegas, not having to supercharge on the way to San Francisco, is worth ten thousand dollars. Yes, it's not worth the current cost, which would probably be thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollars. Robert, go. Well, let's let's face facts. Who owns Teslas? Would you not agree that the majority of people who own Teslas are white, rather rich men who are probably beyond 40 years of age? And the majority of those are probably on their way to taking something like a, uh, you know, prostate medication. Therefore, they're not going to be able to drive. (laughs) That's where you're going with this. Wow. Wow, that's okay. So you still—it's all about not having to supercharge. So you're a getting up there white man like myself, and uh, you have to stop every two hours, three hours to pee. But I don't have to supercharge. I could just whip in and then whip it out, <laughs> release the hounds. Nicely done. Hop back in the car, and not have to go to the supercharger network. I could be weeing just about anywhere. But if the supercharger yeah. network can then charge you at 145 kilowatt. And or higher, right? The CCS, they're saying they could go up to 300 kilowatt. That's huge. So now you're only stopping for 15 minutes to get 50% charge. But what if you're Tesla and you're, you have earmarked, let's say, $400 million in the next five or six years. I don't know what that number is. Maybe that, that's a wildly inaccurate number to build superchargers. Would it not behoove you to put that money into more range on the car so you need less infrastructure right is there is there not like a a scale balance for tesla as a company they have to deal with leases and all the other stuff to get space for superchargers could they not just be like you know what screw it everybody's getting 400 miles range and supercharging is over 
It is an interesting question, uh, but I don't think it's at the 400-mile range. If uh, there was a number that they could spend on creating a battery that got a 1,000 miles, supercharging would become a non-issue. I still think at 400 miles it's an issue, but there is some point where if there is some magic improvement in batteries so that they potentially could get a 1,000 miles, then you wouldn't have to supercharge. So uh, it's an interesting philosophical discussion Thanks. where to put the money in more battery technology or in superchargers. But if they can get supercharging rates down, this is what a lot of people said, if they can get the rate, as Robert's suggesting, down to the point where it's five minutes for an 80% charge, then you can whip people in and out of these superchargers yeah. like a can of gas station. Robert, go. I think that uh, it would be really exciting to be a fly on the wall and watch how Elon potentially pits the supercharger team who is in charge of gaining, you know, putting out superchargers, getting them to charge cars faster versus the team that's going to make the cars hold more capacity for range. That might be like an internal, uh, I don't know, pit match that they have going. A lot of people have said, and I think he is one of them, that if you could theoretically build a 1,000-mile battery today. It's just cost so much money. So let's say there's a beautiful new future where these nanotechnology and lithium air and it all works, and you can buy a $10,000, 1,000-mile battery, and I can slap that in my car. Woohoo! He would suggest that um, you wouldn't do that. You would just put in a 300-mile battery for $3,000 so that many more people could buy that car. So it's very interesting at what point... If price isn't so much of a factor, what is the magic number? I still don't think that 300 miles range is the right number. I've always said, don't go back and check me on this, but I think four or 500 miles of real-world driving up and down hills going pretty fast, putting the air conditioner on, is really what I want in a car because that makes it the same as the ICE cars. But it doesn't make it the same as the ICE cars. It's probably a, a, an improvement, a, a drastic improvement on most ICE cars because like, I'm driving an ICE car right now as I look for an electronic car, and it gets about 300 miles before it needs to be filled up. But most ICE cars now, I think, do more than that, or at least they say that I don't on think the that's TV true. ads. If you talk about trucks. But then you can char- then you can fill it very quickly, so that's why maybe the 500-mile charge... Right, but that's when we talk five about the five-minute thing, right? Is is you know like if if it's three hundred miles, which is let's call it the average, right? When you when you factor in luxury vehicles, BMWs, Mercedes, all that other stuff, three hundred miles is sort of the average of how far you go before you have to recharge. And there are chargers as as equally spaced as gas stations, and it only takes you five minutes. Then 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 it doesn't matter. Well, that's true, but that's a, a world that doesn't exist. Robert, go. I, I think it would be great to hear from all of our listeners who are not Model S owners, who are waiting for a Model 3, who have their money down. I'd like to hear from those listeners, what is their ideal range? In other words, they're going to get the opportunity to pay extra. We don't know how much for a car that goes farther, but what is their ideal range? I'd love to hear from 25 people. And we have a new feature on our website that they can leave us a little voice memo. So you go to the website, and at the bottom, there's a little thing where you can push the button, record with your laptop's recording, and send us a voice message, and we'll potentially play it on the show if you're not boring like us. That's right. So uh, it's a little feature that uh, CC added. You can do it on mobile. You can do it on uh, the website. Uh, There's a little app that it asks you to download. But then you can just basically click on it. Go blah, 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 Mel and Tom and Robert are idiots. And then it'll fire it off to us. So do that. So this is a an interesting question to me as well, again, to those Model 3 people. So lots of people are waiting for a Model 3. Why are you waiting for the Model 3? If the Model S, the second-hand versions, come down in price so they're the same, 
Why are you waiting for the Model 3? Is it now at that point, is it simply for Autopilot 2.0 technologies? I think that's one of the things. The other reason is that there, while there is availability of these use S's, there's not 500,000 of that's them, true. right? There's only, at the moment, you know, on the website, although I've heard that, it, actually I know that if you call Tesla, there's more inventory that they have that is not on the web, is not on the used uh, website. But again, you could go through all of the, there's probably like 10 cars under 50,000, and then they start to go up exponentially, right? So it's not a huge amount of them. They're just, they're out there. I got another stupid question for you. We've had a lot of very stupid theoretical questions. Here's another one. If the Model S in its current form factor is the same as a Model 3, I wonder how many people would say, I'll just get an S. Like, is there a form, is there a group of people that want the Model 3? Of course, it's a smaller car. Robert. Well, if you live in a place like Scotland or Italy, you're not even going to be able to get your Model S through the streets of many of the cities. You're just going to be, you know, it's going to become a uh, a demolition derby type Model S. And I'm one of those people that would say, if you can get me an X without the stupid effing doors, if you can give me that SUV form factor, I'd actually much prefer an X that's 80% of the size, sort of a Model 3 Model Y, I guess. The Model Y, I'd prefer because I don't like the bigger car necessarily. I like the smaller car because it whips around faster. I loved driving the Leaf because it was so fun to zip around. The X, the S, I've had for like two and a half years, three years, I don't know. I still can't park the thing properly. It's so wide. I love that I can throw so much crap in there, but it's too big a car for what I need most of the time. How many miles do you have on your Model S there? 37,200 approximately. Say again? 37,200. Well, it turns out that there was an article we did a few months ago that said um, Tesla owners drive on average significantly more than ICE owners. I think just because uh, they've got more time on their hands or they just like to drive around. I like to just drive. I've driven to Vegas and places where I would otherwise would have uh, flown simply because it was a beautiful car to drive and it was electric. I had 40,000 miles on my RAV4 in two and a half years. That's a lot of driving. And that's at like 80 miles a pop before you have to recharge. So that's a lot of driving. Let's move on and talk about Autopilot 2.0. This is from the world's best website. Which one is that, Mel? Electric! Oh, Electric! Electric uh, says this. Autopilot first came out in September 2014, which is a major bummer to me because I bought my car in July of 2014 (laughs) and I did not get that hardware. Oopsie. So it has a front-facing single camera. It has uh, a... Rear face, no, a front facing radar. It has a 360 degree ultrasonic sensors that have a range of about 16 feet. I can't remember how many it has, but it has a couple on each side. Autopilot 2.0, so that's 1.0. Autopilot 2.0 hardware, we believe, now will have a front facing radar, adding four more units, radar units around the car, probably one on each corner, and then a triple camera in the front. So two forward-facing and one backward-facing. and you know, that, That's not certain because it's not there certain. was another source that talked about there being three different types of cameras with different fields of view and also um, one being a fisheye. I mean, basically using a lot of different technology for vision to mesh with the computer chip. So this report from Electric suggests that um, 
there's no LIDAR, but they're basically, as I understand it, putting the housing in for all of this hardware right now. There was reports of a few months ago that they were having cars shipping with two cameras in the front instead of the current one. And so the housing is there. So the question I have is, are they just going to sort of have the housing there so that they can pop it in later, add these new cameras, add these new radars? Or, and I strongly suggest this because I'm a conspiracy theorist, that very soon every car that comes off the lot is going to have all of these extra cameras, all of these extra sensors, and then magically, uh, at some point, uh, Elon will say, uh, you know that S you bought last month? Would you like it to have uh, fully autonomous driving? Pay here, and there you'll go. It could be a simplification of production issue, right? It could just be that they, they design the new housing, they don't have the hardware to go in the new housing yet, but they've already got them, so they might as well only be not having to decide, oh, do I put the one or the two or the three on the production line, which could theoretically slow down production. The real question I have is if they're doing that and the rest of the hardware is not ready and you have to add those cameras later, will you be able to add them at the service centers? Like, will, Do you think that, let's say they're not doing the hardware, but they're only doing the housing for that for the camera part of it, do you think they'd add that as a retrofit? Like for $1,200, would you go in and upgrade your hardware? Well, that's the only, only way it makes sense is if they're just going to put the housing in, it's got to be so that they can then go pop the cameras in later. The limiting factor in the past for upgrades has been the wiring harness. So when my car got hit in the front, or was it the rear, I was going to replace the bumper and I thought, wow, I could get the parking sensors. That's the four ultrasonic sensors that go around the bumper. And so I went in and I said, please, can I get a new bumper with the sensors? And they said, no. And it took them almost three days to figure out, based on my uh, VIN number, that my car didn't have the appropriate wiring harness and that they could not add any kind of wiring harness upgrade. But they couldn't even tell because this is how Tesla apparently works. They throw new features on in a non-sequential way. It's like if they happen to have some of the newer wiring harnesses, they'll throw those on. If they discover some of the older wiring harnesses, they throw those on. There is not a set thing at Tesla based on past experience that, you know, like on July 1, every car has X. There's like this burn-in period where it's very variable. So I expect it's going to take until, like I was predicting earlier, November, December, for the cars to have all the physical elements to enable full autonomous driving. I don't know how much those cameras cost, but it would you would think that if those cameras are not ridiculously expensive, it would just be simplest to just put them in every car coming off the lot and then software upgradable. To take it back to the service center, to crack open the housing, to pop these things in, that's a lot of people's time. And it's got to be way more efficient to do that on the line as you're going. So I suspect strongly that they'll just put all of these sensors in every single car and then you'll pay extra to turn them on. Robert? Of course, there was a story embedded in there about a guy who took his Model X in to have the windshield replaced, whatever, got a crack or something. And when they pulled the windshield off and pulled the mirror housing off, which held the camera, he saw two cameras, not three, just two. So my expectation is that maybe they were planning on a two camera system and then all of a sudden now they've decided on a three camera system because Elon is pushing everybody to do the full blow my mind autonomy by the end of the year. And so 
there's where we're at. Yeah, I think that's right. I think they've we're putting two in, and I'm not sure where it relates to the crash, but they've decided they need extra. And again, I'm going to say it here for the record on Talking Tesla. By I'll go with Robert's number. By November, every single X and S is going to have all of the sensors that we've just talked about here, all the extra sensors, all the extra radars, all the extra cameras required for uh, Autopilot 2.0. Go Robert first and then uh, Tom. I don't think it's because of the crash in, in Florida. I think it's because of the mobilized split. And there's actually a really good article. I put it at the end of this section. Uh, it's actually very long. If you wanted to print it, it's like a dozen pages and very technical all about the science behind autonomous driving. It gets down into the nitty gritty of the chips that are being made by NVIDIA. That's like a video, I mean, I remember them from the video chips that were in my PC computers ages ago. But evidently they hold the market on these computer chips that are driving the, the, the electronics of all modern cars. And evidently they've created a new chip that uh, Elon went to Las Vegas to see at the uh, CCS show. So all very exciting. I'm really looking forward to it because you know what? You know what's going to happen when they say every car will have autonomous driving capability. I think I'm going to buy another Tesla. I was going to ask you that. I know that you're in. You really want uh, ludicrous mode. You're a rev head, and you've been waiting, waiting, waiting. Is that the thing that you're waiting for? If you can be certain that you'll have all of that hardware for full autonomy, will you just bite the bullet and get one? Yes. That was the easy answer right there for Robert. Very easy. Yes. I'm going to jump forward because uh, since we're talking about autonomy, I have a little thing in here, and I kept saying that I wanted to talk about it, but I found. And this is Mel Herbert's super simplified version of what autonomy means. So this is from a tech republic. Level zero is the driver does everything. I'm doing that right now. I'm yes. at level zero. So everybody has autonomous driving. You just have level zero. <laughs> You're the driver. Level one, the driver does just about everything, but you have a few things like braking assist, for example. Like Bra- brought on early on in ice vehicles like mercedes had the, the like automatic braking pretty early on volvo i think had that technology as well level two is basically where you have cruise control plus something like lane centering and the driver has to be fully engaged and that's what we have on the the teslas right now it'll keep you in the lane and it'll even change lanes for you and it'll do a cruise control and it'll look at the car in front of you and make sure you don't crash so that's level two but it'll change lanes if you signal it to change lanes, Yeah, right? so you have to tell it to change lanes. Very good. Level 3 and level 4 gets a little confusing. So level 4, driver still needed, but the car can basically do everything. And the way I summarize this is level 3 autonomous driving is it can autonomously drive, but don't trust it at all. <laughs> Robert? <laughs> Agree. Level 4 is the car can drive itself. And in theory you don't have to be engaged at all. Now, there's within each of these levels, there's levels. But level four, theoretically, I put in the GPS coordinate, take me to my house, and it'll drive on the freeway. It'll drive on the streets. It'll pull me up at my house. That is theoretically level four. And level five is where Google apparently wants to go, which is no humans at all involved. So it does everything you want. You put in the coordinates, it'll take you there, and there is no steering wheel. There is no way for you to take over. In level four autonomous driving, you can take over. And that's what Elon says that he wants. He wants a fully autonomous car that can drive you, and you can trust it, but you can also take over if you want to. And then somebody put a lot of notes about NTSA, <laughs> Robert. and you should summarize that. So 
one interesting thing was that NHTSA in January had put out a letter that, in, that said specifically the widespread deployment of fully autonomous vehicles is now feasible, which I thought that's pretty amazing coming from a stodgy old big government body that they're looking forward and that sort of optimistic that this is going to happen. This is not pie in the sky. This is not the kind of stuff that people are throwing down on Tesla saying people are dying from this technology. It should be eliminated and taken away. Here's a big government body saying this is happening. And didn't the- they say in there that um, it's happening within the next six months? Where did I read that? The article's author from the TechRepublic.com said that fully autonomous driving will exist in the next six months, which I got even more tingly about. Your bits were, my bits were on fire when I read that. Six months? Um, my wallet is on fire because it knows <laughs> that soon it's going to be more than depleted. How many night shifts is that going to cost you to get a new Tesla? What will you do with your old one? Will your wife basically drive the one you've got now and then you'll upgrade to the new one? Is that how it'll work? If I don't give it to her, I'll be divorced. <laughs> yeah, you probably should because divorce is very expensive. It's um, far more expensive than a ludicrous Tesla. Okay, so I want to talk about renewables. Um, I just found this uh, article very interesting. It's from Science Alert. And it said last Sunday, it's actually a couple of week, uh, weekends ago now, that Scotland generated 106% of the energy required for the entire country on wind. What? <laughs> what did you say? Uh, Scotland generated 100 I'll do it in English now. Thanks. Scotland generated 106% of the energy required for the entire country simply on their wind farms. Now, this was a perfect storm because there were really high winds in Scotland and it gets really, really, wind, really high Really, winds. Hot, like 100 mile an hour <laughs> And it was a Sunday where they didn't have all those people at work. But the point is that there's a number of countries now getting to the to uh, this more and more frequently, 100% of the energy they need for a day is from renewables. Robert, go. I just couldn't help think of fat bastard <laughs> as you were as you were rambling away. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> so 57% of the entire energy production of Scotland in 2015 was from renewables. That's a big number. That's that huge. Is- I love Scotland. They're great. And the cost of wind energy is now on par there with natural gas. Germany, 95% of its daily energy needs via renewables recently. And Portugal clocked four straight days powered entirely by renewable energy. So again, this is no longer theoretical. This is... Right? This is reality. Happening. That is fucking awesome. How awesome? And I like the quote... In the 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 like the, towards the end of this article, he says, "If only the U.S. Congress was invested in promoting such forward-looking policies instead of slavishly patronizing the messages they are paid to say by their fossil fuel industry paymasters." Boom. Yeah, it's amazing. And Scotland has a lot of oil reserves, and they're still going all in on this. So that will do – for Scotland, it'll do two things. They may at one point decide to leave their oil in the ground, 
or they may decide, well, we'll just export the hell out of it and it will raise the living standards for all of the people of Scotland. Either way, it's a plus plus. And if the U.S. got on board, it could be a plus plus for us as well. Imagine if all if if the U.S. were a net energy exporter, which again, I know that's not what this show is about. But if they were, imagine what our public schools could be like. Part of a smart person's decision about who to vote for should be not just about how much tax I'm going to pay and not about just how much government regulation, but it should be about the planet, for God's sake. Um, You should be thinking, which of these presidential candidates is most likely to institute um, laws and uh, regulations regulations that is good for the planet? I just get really pissed, and I'm sorry, this is going to be another fucking rant. I get really pissed when people say they want to abolish the EPA, like it's some disastrous, horrible organization. If we didn't have the EPA, then you wouldn't be able to drink or, or breathe in this country. If you just go back 20 or 30 years, the pissing and moaning from the oil and gas and the car industry about cleaning up and putting in catalytic converters, they, you, they made it sound like this was going to double or triple the cost of a car, and it was all bullshit, and it's the same shit over and over again. They never want to pay for clean water, clean air, and clean cars. F*** them. We have to make them pay for it. These are the people who told us putting lead in our gasoline so our engines didn't make noise was, was okay. They were spewing lead every day into the atmosphere. They don't do that anymore. My engine doesn't knock. So they were wrong. Now, just think about leukemia. Nobody wants cancer. Leukemia is a pretty devastating, quick-to-kill-you kind of cancer. Then look up things like Love Canal. That was like the first Superfund site in New York. Love Canal, the stories that have been written about it, amazing. Check it out. What is it? Oh, well, so it's a canal. It was once – it's basically a failed attempt – to connect a group of factories to the sort of Niagara Falls region of New York for transporting goods out through the Great Lakes. So they couldn't finish it. So a couple of companies that were situated along this canal just used it to dump toxic waste. They would put, you know, those 50-gallon barrels of drum uh, drums full of these horrible, noxious uh, materials. And then they basically buried the whole damn thing up, making as if it was not there. 21 tons of chemicals, things like alkalins and chlorinated hydrocarbons, all horrible stuff. And it took so much money to clean this thing up. And the only reason that this came to light was because there was a book written. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think, damn, I can't remember. It's called, mm, oh, here, Laying Waste. Anyway, this was in the late 70s. You know, hippies, people who are just making trouble that's who brought this to light, and it became the standard for the big Superfund cleanups that have taken place many times. And government and industry, you know, it's a clash, it's a flashpoint, but it's what keeps us healthy. You know, there's another book, if you're really interested in this, called um, The Merchants of Doubt. I know it's one of Elon's favorite books. It's a really good book. There is now an industry, and there's actually a very tiny group of scientists who have produced doubt where really no scientific doubt exists. And they've done it not just for global warming right now, human-induced global warming, but they did it for cigarette smoking and they did it for leaded paint and they did it for acid rain. And it's the same f***ing group. And they've created doubt 
where really no doubt exists. It's an industry, and these people are going to, if there is a hell, these guys are going to burn in that hell. If we stop believing in science, then we are going to regress to the Middle Ages so very quickly. So read this book, The Merchants of Doubt. It is really fascinating, and it is stunning how it is such a tiny group of people who are able to produce this doubt by funding bogus scientific organizations and bogus science and then getting Congress people on board to produce doubt where doubt really doesn't exist from a scientific point of view. Fascinating read. Go check it out. It's depressing. You'll want to shoot yourself at the end. Okie dokie. Now let's talk about Chernobyl. Since we're talking about destroying things, I don't know if you remember back in the day, there was this little uh, place that was called Chernobyl. It was a lovely little place there, and there's a great Netflix documentary about it. It was really quite lovely, except it was a nuclear power station, which is fine, and it blew up. It melted down. And now all of Chernobyl, there's dinosaurs and T-Rexes and stuff there. You can't go and live there, Tom. I know you want to, but you can't. It's not Jurassic Park. It's kind of like Jurassic Park. Okay. Well, um... They don't think that you're going to be able to live in parts of Chernobyl for another few thousand years, but they are going to put up a giant solar array around some of these areas where you don't have to go in and do too much work. And it's kind of interesting that out of the ashes of Chernobyl is going to be a giant $3 billion solar farm. Robert? I was going to say, not only was it a bad meltdown, but they tried to hide it. They kept it out of the news. They didn't let anybody in. And it was only when radiation levels were spiking across northern Europe that people realized, hey, some bad shit's going down over there in Russia. And these are the, uh, if you're a big government person, when your government gets too big, for example, Russia, it can also be very bad. Yeah, they thought that maybe they'd blown up some nuclear weapons. And they're like, where is this radiation coming from? It's a really, uh, it is such a fascinating story. And um, again, there's a couple of Netflix um, documentaries about it that I suggest you check out. But I just thought it was interesting that now out of that, we're going to get some uh, renewable energy. And speaking of renewable energy, let's talk about the Solar City earnings call. Elon dropped this. It's true. It's a solar roof as opposed to a module on a roof. Um, yeah, yeah, so I mean, I think that in the, a couple of weeks ago, we, we spoke about us wanting to um, start actually having a roofing integrated product, and yep. um, a large part of the module manufacturing is in there is going to be for that. Yeah, um, and I'd just like to, to emphasize that I think this is really a, a fundamental part of achieving a differentiated product strategy, um, where you have a, a, a sign with a beautiful roof that, that is a solar roof. It's not, it's not a thing on a roof, it is the roof. Um, that's which is quite a difficult engineering challenge um, and not something that is available really any, anywhere else that um, is, is at, at all good. It's, I think this will be something that's quite a standout um, and, and you just can't find it anywhere. And this is um, one of the things I'm, I'm really very excited about uh, for the future. So. Yeah, and it's just addressing a really big market segment. So just in the, the U.S. is 5 million new roofs. Uh, uh, installed every year, and this this is the product we focus on the uh, primarily focus on the new roof market. Yeah, I mean, I think that the interesting thing about this is that it it actually doesn't cannibalize the existing uh, product of putting solar on a roof because essentially, if you've got if if your roof is is nearing end of life, you you definitely don't want to put solar panels on it because you know you're going to have to replace the roof. Um, so there's a huge market segment that is currently inaccessible to Solar City. Um, because people know they're going to have to replace their roof. You don't want to put solar panels on top of the roof you're going to replace. Um, 
However, if you if, if you are close, if your roof is nearing end of life, well, you've got to get a new roof anyway. As Donner was saying, there's five million new roofs a year just in the U.S. Um, and uh, so, why not have a, a solar roof um, that, that's better in, in many other ways as well? We don't, we don't want to show all of our cards right now, but I think people are going to be really excited about what, what they see. And like, so the, the cool thing is that it doesn't cannibalize the existing business because you give two classes of customer, like customers that were the nearing the roof's nearing end of life and customers where they, um, they've just put in a new roof. And, and so, um, so you actually get, this is a, a great situation where you get to introduce a new product without um, cannibalizing the existing product. So, and it's this product that we're going to be kind of expediting module manufacturing for um, out of Buffalo. Right, and this is exactly, and this is why it's really important to do manufacturing in-house because you're, it, it's a, it's a, it, it's vital to control the aesthetics, um, and um, like ideally, really design. It, it's kind of like making a custom car. Like when when somebody orders a car from Tesla, they'll pick a, a wide array of options. That car will be custom made to their preferences, uh, and you really want the the roof custom made to the individual customer um, as a kit, and then and then sent to uh, the the, uh, the the delivery team to to get installed. Now, I also just want to note that the majority of the capital expenses in order for us to um, get going on module manufacturing have essentially been incurred. Um, so as, as exciting of a product uh, as this is, the majority of the manufacturing expenses just for the module line here are essentially incurred. So what do you think, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? This is not the first group of people that have said that they can put up a solar roof, not just panels on your roof, but actually churn the roof itself into a solar collector. There's people who have had solar tiles and other things, and those people have come out since Elon dropped this bomb and said, you know what, this is an extraordinarily difficult engineering thing to turn your roof into a solar panel and still be able to walk on your roof and to not leak and to not be really expensive. So can uh, Elon pull it off, Tom? Can he do it? I don't know if he can pull it off. I know that in Los Angeles, the firemen are going to have some issues with it. There's a lot of issues with safety uh, as far as fighting fires because the roofs tend to collapse on firemen, and so they don't like that sort of thing. That's why in Los Angeles, there's all these setbacks, areas around the solar panels on your roofs that you have to get on. So I don't know the answer to that question. I think it's interesting theoretically. Um, there, But is it, again, is it, is it necessary? You don't have that, and you're already producing more than you need. Although you do have a lot of panels, you know. So that the real question is: Are there better uses? Well, uh, is it is it efficient? So I love the idea that my entire roof could be filled with solar panels, and that everybody's or be a solar collector. But I was just interested. At first, I'm like, this is going to be great. But then when you hear people talk about how technically difficult that is, one begins to think about the Falcon Wing doors. (laughs) (laughs) Oopsie. Maybe they've actually engineered this well. And so I thought it was really makes perfect uh, economic sense to homeowners. Hey, my my roof is leaking. It's going to cost me $8,000 on a small house, maybe $12,000 to replace the roof. I've been through this a couple of times. It's a huge hit. It's like, oh, man, so much for vacation this year. I'm going to put on a roof, which I pretty much don't pay attention to any time until it starts to leak into my bedroom. So why not 
instead of just spending your 12 grand on your roof, maybe spend, I don't know, 15 or 18. I don't know how much more expensive it is to make a roof with a solar in it. If you're, if, I don't know how much of the solar uh, panels goes, the cost goes to the structure, the glass, the frame, the mounts, all of that stuff versus just putting it into an integrated roof product. So if you could put on a roof and it go from 12,000 to 16,000, and now your roof is gonna completely pay itself off before you need another roof. Well, does that really take any thought to do? Yeah, if the price delta is not too high and they can actually do it, I think it is a no-brainer. I can have a roof that does nothing except keep the water out, or I can have a roof that keeps the water out and also makes me energy and pays itself off. As long as that delta is not too big, then I think slam dunk. And it's part of those ideas that, in theory, it's like, of course. Now let's see if he can actually do it, because lots of smart people say this is an extraordinary difficult engineering feat. But then again, this is a guy who's flying spaceships up, turning them around and bringing them back and landing them. That's true. But what is there a factor for either one of you gentlemen about what your house looks like if the whole roof doesn't look sort of like that traditional asphalt or or tile roof, you know, and maybe it it looks like a weird solar panel, you know, like what's it going to look like visually? That's a good question. And I'm in a place, Provincetown, in which along the commercial street, if you want to, you know, change a door, if you want to put up a sign or anything substantial you have to go through the historic commission because these buildings you know the the house that i'm staying in it was built in 1823 so they don't want things changed so whether or not you could do that it kind of depends we have to make a decision as a society do we want to be carbon free carbon neutral carbon negative and actually save the planet for our offspring or do we want to stick to sort of old norms and historic, you know, um, decrees that, you know, could be very expensive if you look at it in the big long run. For me, I don't care what's on my roof. My roof is a functional thing. um, But for my wife, it really matters. So when we first got solar panels, she's like, this is going to uglify our house. I don't really want to do it. She's now fully on board. But for a lot of people, that is a big deal. The aesthetics of the of your house, like the aesthetics of your car, like the aesthetics of your clothing is important. So the smartest people, the apples of the world, realize that, and they'll give you a product that's functional and looks good. So he's going to have to make this functional and look good for and, it to really get a big uh, slice of the pie, as it were. And price will have to be a big, important factor. And my guess is it's not going to be an additional $4,000, but it might be an additional $10,000, which is still a lot cheaper than solar has been historically, right? Like we're sort of in that in the trough of solar right now relative to what it, you know, has cost in the past. And let's not forget that Elon said that this was going to be an integrated product. So not just integrated solar into your roof, but a battery and their own inverters and the power electronics made all by Tesla and in one package, which will also make this whole thing a lot easier and faster and cheaper to install. I hope they come up with a lack of inverter. I'm just thinking about, you know, I capture all these photons in my uh, roof on my solar panels and it's direct current. And then it goes into an inverter and turns it into AC. And then it goes into my car and they turn it back into direct current. It seems so inefficient. When the sun is really bright, I wish I could just like 
attach my card directly to the solar panels and not lose any of that uh, conversion. And I don't know how much you lose with those conversions uh, from DC to AC, but uh, it's got to be some amount. What is the amount, Robert? It's like 10 or 12%. It's huge. And that would be a great option. And so that's something that Solar City slash Tesla slash Tesla batteries should put in. If you have a Tesla, let's have a special output that goes right to your Tesla charger and bam. Or I, maybe they shouldn't be so uh, uh, closed. Maybe it should be to any electric car that can take DC and have it set up so that bam, you can just plug your car right into your panel system, charged with DC and you get, you know, that much more bang for your buck. I'm sure there's probably 15,000 engineering reasons why that's not easy to do. And our engineering listeners will tell us that we're ignorant sluts. Look, the bolt is coming soon, Tom. It's coming. It's, can you hear that? That's the sound of the bolt coming soon. It's coming. So uh, it's due at the end of this year. It's going to have 200 miles range. Yeah. And this is from Autoblog, a little article that says it is not very aerodynamic. The Model 3 is super aerodynamic, and they get that coefficient of how much windy wind produces friction frictions, and they've got that really low. It's a number. I'm not saying what it is. But the Bolt has a really bad one of those numbers. It is. And they said at GM, the reason uh, that they're not worried about it is it because they really wanted to create a car with a lot of internal space so it felt like a big car inside, and that meant that it's not as very aerodynamic as they'd like. So it's a third more. The drag coefficient is 0.32. I will give you the number. The drag coefficient of the S is 0.21. So that's a big difference. That's 30% different uh, amount of drag. The thing that makes that interesting to me, right, is that car has a 60 kilowatt hour battery, which is the same as the Model S, which I think we will all agree is a much bigger car than the Bolt, theoretically. But and it's only getting 200 miles. So the the real question is is like what is the that drag coefficient is causing potentially 30 percent less range on that car with the same size battery pack, but how are they doing it for so much cheaper? Well, I don't know if you can directly correlate the just sort of the aerodynamics of the car to how much less range it's going to get because there's also the tires and the wheels and they've got friction as well. So it's got to make it worse. I don't know how much worse. Agree. I don't think uh, drag coefficient can explain the decrease in range. I think it has to do with a lot of factors. A couple of things. I got to sit in one of the... Uh, non-driving but fully outfitted Bolt, um, whatever, concept vehicles last year in Santa Monica at the Alt Car Festival. Again, it's going to take place this September. It's a cool event. It's free. Um, so I got to sit in one, and being six foot four, I sat in the back seat. I sat in the front seat. I played with the front seat, moving it back and forth. It's surprisingly comfortable. I could ride in that car all the way up to San Francisco. It's got somewhat limited luggage space in the back end. I'm disappointed that they piled the front area full of shit. There is so much crap in there. Like it is not a a elegant, uh, elegantly crafted electric car like the Tesla is. I mean, that's they're they're working off the ice. Probably they're working off of the ice um, paradigm where they just stuff all this crap up in the front, which, again, decreases the safety of the car, right? Because your crumple zone is filled with stuff. But I think overall it's going to be a really attractive car. It's definitely going to work well for people who want a smaller electric car, who have challenges backing up 
and parking and navigating or live in a place like Edinburgh, Scotland. So I think it's going to be a super successful car. I think they've hit most of the high points. It just lacks the elegance of a Tesla. Yeah, I think it's actually going to be quite successful because the Model 3 is not around. And we have reports that the Volt batteries are actually degrading incredibly slowly. So one of the concerns about the original Leaf was that their batteries degraded a lot. It seems like GM has their battery technology down pretty well. So the question is, how late will the Model 3 be? Because I think if you had a Bolt versus a Model 3 and they're both out at the same time, most people would go for the Tesla because it's a sexier name and they've been doing it longer and its range is going to be better and there's the supercharger network. And But the question is... How late is the Model 3 going to be, Tom? But it also could be $12,000 more. The Model 3? Yeah. Well, they theoretically are coming in at the same base price. Theoretically, they've both said maybe Tesla has said 3700 and Bolt has said 30000 But it seems that the base number is about the same. Right. So, But again, we're talking about the subsidies are still going to be available for most of the Bolts. Um, for at least the first hundred thousand of them, I would assume, right? Because I don't think Chevy's used very few of them on their on their Spark EV. So, would you get? Well, this is a stupid question to ask people on a Tesla show, but yeah. uh, given all we know, if you got about the same range from a Bolt and you got about the same range from a Model Three, would you buy a Bolt or a Model Three? To me, it's it seems right now that it's not even a competition because at about the same price within, say, $5,000, I've got a car that has a supercharger network and uh, all the sensors for full autonomy and somebody who's been making electric cars specifically for a long time, uh, I'm going with the Tesla. It That's the differentiator better. is the it's going to have autopilot. That will be standard. At least the equipment will be in there, whether or not you can turn it on for the same amount of money. Again, we don't know. We don't know whether or not... The efficiencies that they get in the next 18 months in the Gigafactory are going to just massively drive down their cost of making batteries. That's also very possible. And maybe the Model 3 comes out even cheaper. Who knows? Um, you know, an 18-month head start is not nothing to uh, kind of shirk about. You know, So if it comes out, people like it. A lot of people are talking about it. It's easy to get. You can go and drive it. You don't have to go to a... a a Tesla showroom, which, and make an appointment to drive it. You know, if it's a different kind of situation to buy it, then potentially the Bolt will have a nice head start, and then we'll really know whether or not Tesla Tesla can compete on sort of a a car case by case basis. And uh, Robert, well, you know, if you live in Michigan, you're buying a Bolt, and the other the other kind of. Uh, I don't know if this is depressing, but I was out with the car. I was stopped in a parking lot. I talked to some guy. I was telling him about the Tesla, and he says, I don't know. He said, uh, I think I'm going to go with, you know, when I buy my electric car, I'm going to go with a Chevy because I want an American-made car. <laughs> no, no. And, and that just speaks to the fact that people just still don't know Tesla, right? We're, I, you know, we're getting – you know, Google alerts all day long about Tesla and we're reading everything about Tesla. So we're kind of insular. But the reality is the vast majority of people out there, or I should say outside of Southern California or California, they don't have a clue. They don't know about Tesla. And this is another reason why Tesla owners who are outside of California, not that the ones in California shouldn't do this, but take your car out, participate in these days where 
You show people your car, you take them on rides for your car, you become a spokesman for electrification of vehicles because that's the only way that we're going to do it. We do things because our neighbor does things. Why did I put a why, why would I put a solar roof on my house if I was the only one on the block? Everybody's going to look at me, they're going to frown, my my house looks ugly, it's different, but if two people have done it and they say, "Hey, you should do it. Look at this. Here's my bill. It's gone to 0 or $3 a month and I'm running my AC and you know, it's only by getting that that one-to-one contact out there that we're going to make a huge change. Yes, I absolutely agree. Before we do letters, I just had a funny thing that happened yesterday. Uh, my wife was uh, pulling up the uh, electric bill and the, uh, for the two months, the prior two months. And this is the time of the year in California where many people's electric bills over two months will be 1000 or even $2,000 or more. And she goes, oh my gosh, look at this electric bill, Mel. Um, she goes, it's $2. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and we had a lot of visitors. Well done. And uh, we drove our cars a lot. Thank you very much. I love making That's my cool. own energy. But you didn't, before you move on, you didn't finish the will the Model 3 be late. So yes. will the Model 3 be late, Mel? So there are some people that are saying Tesla has never put a car out on time. It's going to be late, 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 late. And there are other people that are arguing this is a very different scenario. Elon has learnt the lessons, and this will be on time. But what does on time mean? Because Elon said full production July 1st next year. It's not going to be July 1st next year. He said that. We are not going to get there. But I have to put a line in the sand. So I think that they might get to full production in early 2018. And if they do that, I would consider that on time. And what are you calling full production? Because I think the three of us need to put some uh, cashola on a date. All right, we I'm need to s- pick a date, and we have to decide what the parameters of production are. Is it first car delivered, or is it f- like uh, they're they're up to four thousand cars a week getting delivered? What What do you guys want to do? I don't think first car delivered is valid because they've done that with every single car: Roadster, Model S, Model X. They made this big fanfare. They delivered the first one, two, three, five cars, and then the production line was like silent for two months. So I think we have to say, put out the 1,000th. 1,000th car means they've actually put it into production, the line is working, and they're not putting out a bunch of cars that are just for, I don't know, testing. Although, you know, big production runs that General Motors or any of the big car companies have, they put out probably a couple of hundred cars before they're into full production. So that's why a thousand cars, I think it's a round number, and I think it makes sense. And the question is, when will they have put out their 1,000th car? Okay, that's uh, one way of thinking about it. But to me, full production is 50,000 a month. I want to see, when he says full production, that is 500,000 cars a year. So that's, you know, 40 or 50,000 cars a month. That, to me, I want to see. Full production, early 2018. But he can't do that in Fremont. There's no way. He can make it. Yeah, they can do a million can. cars there. They could do all the X's and S's and 500,000 Model 3's. Do I think it's going to happen by 2018? No, but he says full production. All right, so what are we going to do? So it's it's not – I don't think it's the first 1,000 cars off the line. I think that's necessarily going to be pretty, pretty full simple. Full production. He wants to get to a million. I'm saying full production is – 50,000 a month. That would give you 600,000 a year. That's close enough to full production. I'm saying 50,000 a month. 50,000 a month is the number. Okay, the number. so what? what's your date? My real date in my head is 2020, but I'm going to say March 2018. 
There's Whoa. no fucking way that's going to happen, but I'm going to put my dollar down on March 2018. 50,000 cars a month? <laughs> when you say it like that, it's like, it's no never going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to say the first time he makes 50,000 cars a month, not until the end of 2019. Robert, so, give it to November us. 2019. Damn. I haven't made this calculation or I haven't considered this calculation. The only calculation I've made was when do I get my Model 3s? <laughs> <laughs> but you're not going to get a Model 3 because you're going to buy a ludicrous Model S and your wife's going to be driving your Model S. So the three Model 3s you have on reserve are not getting purchased by you. I only have, I only have reserved two. That was the limit. Okay, my two. son is getting one. It's true. Um, wow. Give so us a number. Come on. I had March 2018. We've got Tom at the end of 2019. And Robert is... Oh. It's for a dollar. This is a crapshoot. <laughs> this is a bad crapshoot. Oh, my God. This is this is the perfect time for my Skype connection to go rogue. <laughs> I, I say um, it's going to happen. So, let's see. If we, if we start production in late 2017 then we hit 2018 he's going to take some more time to ramp up and deal with the alien dreadnought version going to one he says it needs to go to like version two so i say uh, i'll just pick a round number uh well so again another consideration is that they bump production towards the end of quarters so they can make their numbers look good so did somebody say march of 2019 no you can have march 2019 okay. march 2019 there it is what else? that was the most painful thing ever just come up with a number it's for a dollar for god's sake <laughs> let's do some letters Tevin Grant sent us a um, note and said, first of all, guys, you need a phone number so that we can leave voice messages. Well, well we have the recording button, right, Thomas? Better than a phone voice message. He then went on to talk about BMWs and their advertising against Model 3s and said it's a big, giant, stupid thing and that the i8 is pretty much the stupidest car in the world. And I agree. It has like three miles of electric range so it can accelerate fast. <laughs> well, it's 25, but it's still stupid. <laughs> Cesar Sanchez said, I donated $25 to get you closer to the purchase of a Model S, Tom. Love the show. Thank you. You guys are as funny as hell. Uh, You guys turn my 45 commute uh, into about five minutes. Keep up the good work, Cesar. Thank you, Cesar. Um, Tesla Powerwall. This is Travis Aries. It says, dear talking Tesla amigos. Uh, Amigo is the Spanish word for dumbass, I believe. (laughs) I think you're right. I think you're correct. (laughs) I listen to your show every week and I really like your show, but Tesla Powerwall, as the manufacturing volumes go up, the prices are going to come down. Oh, I hope that's true. Yes, the Powerwall is too expensive, but so are the Model S and the Model X, but over 100,000 families purchased these two expensive cars. That is true. And so uh, solar panels have gone from costing $76 a watt in 1976 to 57 cents per watt in 2005. I think the point is that he's saying these Powerwall prices will plummet, and I believe and I hope that is true because I'd really like, and I was going to do the math that I'll do it next week, but I was trying to work out really what reasonable size Powerwall I would want at what reasonable cost, and I'll do that math next week, but I really think I need a 200 kilowatt hour battery at my house to do my cars and to do my house. That's two power packs, not any power Yeah, walls. that's two power Hacks just for my house. Now, I'm a bit of a power hog, but we'll get back to that math next week. Michael Sullivan sent us a letter, and it says... F-bombs. 
They're fine if you leave them in. Bleeping them makes it annoying. He's not the only one that thinks that way. There's a number yeah. of people who have said the same thing. So I really do not want to bleep them out. So I think we might just put an explicit tag on and say the F-bombs. Walk away. It'll make me a lot happier. David Urquhart. Did I say that right? You did. Hey, guys, because you guys are into solar and care about the environment, I think you'll find this documentary very interesting. If the shareholders of Solar City and Tesla see this documentary, I think they'll have no problem merging the two companies. I haven't watched it yet, but I will. Thank you very much. David Diego. It's on YouTube. Quevado. Quevado? Quevedo. Um, if any of you have ever been in the Portland area, I'd love to hang out. This is my favorite podcast by far. Thank you. And yes, I listened to more than one Tesla podcast. What are you talking about, Diego? He said it's his favorite Tesla podcast, not his favorite podcast. Let's not go crazy, Mel. You don't think it's as good as 99% Invisible, it This is, American Life? It is not, what? but it is pretty damn <laughs> enjoyable. How could you say that? It's ridiculous. I mean, it could be. If or you my wanna... current favorite. You know what my current favorite is? Just, no. just as an aside, it's Malcolm Gladwell's uh, new podcast. It's outstanding. What's it's, it called, Mel? I can't remember. Yeah, you sounds like you love it. I'm listening to been listening to more perfect, which is a short by uh, Radio Lab about the Supreme Court. A very nice uh, podcast. You, you know who else has a Supreme Court? Uh, we podcast? do. We it's, do. Yeah. That's why I listen to that other one. I, and Rich Orman does an amazing Supreme job. Supreme Court briefing on Supreme Court briefing. For yeah. Sure. So well, James Decker. No, go ahead. Is the next letter? Sorry, Robert. No matter. It's okay. No, it's go okay. ahead, Robert. Revisionist history. Malcolm go Gladwell. Go ahead, Robert. Revisionist history. Fantastic. Go what on. are you listening? Revisionist history. I'm putting that on my list. I think it might be on my list, but I'm listening to Consider Phlebas, the book by Ian Banks. That that uh, you know, it's a series that uh, Elon cites as one of his favorites, and the drone ship, named after a ship from this series, the Culture series. Very good. Very descriptive. Very violent. Some sex. Exciting. Sounds good. Sounds great. Go on, Tom. I'm in. So the next letter is from James Decker. He writes, I've been a Tesla owner for nearly a year and listening to your podcast for the last couple of months. Wanted to throw out a website I've been working on, teslafy.com. It's in beta, but you can check out the thread here. Maybe your listeners would like it. Hey, listeners, will you like it? Let us know. What's uh, the spin? What's the spin going to be on this Teslafy website? I guess we'll have to go check it out and find out. Um, Andre Yellen. Uh, said, look, uh, donate to Tom and get a Tesla burger. I just <laughs> sent you guys 25 bucks. This money goes towards a Tesla for Tom. And uh, otherwise, just buy him a burger. But it's going to be a veggie burger. Right, we've yeah. If we, if we don't get to $15,000, and we're getting there. We're getting there. Every week, we're getting a little bit closer. Uh, I'll get a burger. I should say to uh, you Tesla listeners out there, there is no way that we are ever going to get enough money from asking you people for money to uh, run this podcast. We really appreciate it. We'll put it towards uh, some flights and stuff to go to Tesla events. Um, But the best thing you can do for us, frankly, is actually go onto the website and just rate us and add a comment. Because if we get enough uh, people listening, then we will do advertising. I'm sorry. We will advertise Tesla crap (laughs) to pay for this thing at one point. And word of mouth. Tell your buddies. Spread the word. That's the best way for us to move forward. Terry Hernan says, I love your show. Listen to it every week. I'm from Adelaide, mate. Does anybody know where Adelaide is? It's in Australia. That's right. There's no Tesla store here. There's no superchargers. There's nothing. And I'm sorry, but he really likes the podcast and he hopes to get a Model 3 one day soon. Um, Marlo Swedinsky. We've talked to him before, right? He says, according to Fortune.com... Sounds like a a fine guy. Fine guy. So Marlo says, 
According to Fortune.com, Tesla Gigafactory intends to bring their lithium ore 200 miles from a pure energy minerals site near Reno, Nevada, to their location near Sparks, Nevada. On your show, you mentioned the master plan to achieve raw material in product out. So there you go. They are going to do that. Thank you very much. That's been the plan. That's why they picked Nevada to begin with. What we talked about that in that one show was that there are other lithium mines in the area as well. So the the raw materials are widely available in that neighborhood. I love that concept. Patrick Wilson brought up something that I find really interesting. So he is... uh, thinking about you know 60 kilowatt model s versus a 75 kilowatt model s and he goes into some of the detail on this but basically he brings up something that i didn't realize so if you go buy a 60 kilowatt model s right now it turns out because it's software limited and it's actually a 75 kilowatt battery you can fill that thing to the top every time and not uh, reduce your battery degradation or make deck battery degradation worse because you're only charging it to about 80 85 percent of the whole pack. Of the whole pack. And I went and looked on EV Obsession that said they've talked to some Tesla people and some experts, and it's not 100% true, or they're not 100% sure if that is true, but it appears to be that the experts that they've talked to said that is absolutely correct. Pat Wilson, get a 60, fill it all the way up, and later on you can upgrade to the 75. But you're still only looking at probably 210, maybe at the most, if you're maxing out that 60 kilowatts. And who knows how they're actually you know, putting those modules together. So it could, what it could be doing is degrading that part of the pack that you're constantly filling to 100%, or certain batteries within that pack that you're you know. They were suggesting charging. on one of these reviews that actually it's not – like they just took this chunk and you're using that chunk. You're actually using the whole battery, just but through software they're saying, you know, only allowed to get up to this number. So they're actually spreading oh, it all over the place. Okay, that's that's cool. Right, and and the software limitation may actually mimic what it would be like to charge a 60 kilowatt battery. In other words, you get to the supercharger, you're charging, you know, from 50 percent to let's say 100 percent because you're on a long drive. When you get to that last 20 percent. The supercharger rate of charge slows down greatly because it's hard to push electrons into an almost full battery. And they mimic that performance, which keeps people from, uh, keeps people wanting to pay the extra money to get the full performance of a 70 or a 75 kilowatt battery. So you're saying in that case, it would be slowing down even. So the last 15% of the 60 kilowatts would be slowing down. It would be interesting though, if it wasn't slowing down and they weren't doing that mimic and you could get 100% charge at full speed for the most part or close to full speed. If anybody is out there that has a, a software limited 60 I'd love to know. That's a really interesting because uh, you might be right, Tom. It just goes really fast all the way up, and then it's like, I'm full there. You've got your software limit. Arthur Chung uh, sent us an, uh, a uh, mail, and he said this. The Alien Dreadnought episode was really funny. Love the language. Don't worry about the kids. In fact, he said, F the kids. <laughs> Arthur is a radiation on cause from West Covina, and he sounds like a fun guy to me. Um, Zachary. Oh, come on. Somebody help me with this. I can't read. Garvelink. Pretty straightforward. Zachary Garvelink, um, he said, monthly donation, really enjoy the show. You've really reduced the tedium of my commute. And he gave us some cash. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then there was some stuff about GPS. So Jason, who's that? God, why can't I read? You think of as, as a physician, I should have gone through school, but apparently I, I actually do have a dyslexia, which is a bit of a problem. Mild form, but you know, I can't read. So uh, guys, love the podcast. Um, 
But he has a whole thing about GPS that I really didn't understand. Did anybody else understand? But basically saying that you're ignorant sluts and you need to do some more homework. Well, he well he's talking about it being limited by the military, which it is. So the GPS system that's up there has the high-definition capability, but what they give us for the consumers has been sort of limited by software. It's software limited. It's like a 75-watt battery, but you only get 60 watts of it. Maybe Elon's got a deal going with the military, you know. He's launched enough of their satellites. He's, you know, I'll give you a couple more satellites up there. You let me have the three bandwidth feed and I'll use that. And maybe that's the big announcement come November. Uh, Greg, whatever his last name is, Tom, Tom's, Tom is like, uh, he's my help. Stehulak. Well, that's a hard one. Stehulak. He basically said the same thing about navigation maps. Um, we're going to go into that mapping and GPS thing in more detail. I'll actually get my nephew on the phone wow. who is uh, an expert in GPS and mapping. And uh, finally, Joel Sapp. I'm going to end with this one. And Joel said this. I said a few weeks ago that all energy is solar energy. And Joel wants to basically say, you're right, Mel. Because he says solar comes from solar. <laughs> from the sun. Wind basically is solar, which is just the sun heating up the earth and pushing around stuff. Fossil fuels are solar because the plants grew from the sun and then they turn into fossil fuels. That's uh, so true. we're good so far. Fission, uranium is made of supernovas or essentially exploding stars, which is solar. Geotherma, geothermal is the radioactive decay of elements um, in the earth. Is that true? Yeah, I thought it was just water. Yes. Geothermal is radioactive decay down in the planet. I thought it was just because it was really hot because of its the of the gravity. No, it's actually relatively cool underground, Mel, except but for right certain in the areas. middle. Well, but it doesn't come all the way from the yeah, core. Yeah, Joel, I'm not so sure. It's not coming that. from the core of the earth. <laughs> That's it's, very it's deep. lava, but it has little holes from the middle of the earth that comes up. All right, we'll get back to you on that. <laughs> Whatever. Hydroelectric is basically evaporated water, so that's solar. Thank you. Uh, dilithium crystals from Star Trek. He's not sure how that works. <laughs> Hydroelective is not is not uh, is not evaporated water, just for the record, but and it's then, caused by evaporating water. Thank you. So it's solar, and then soilent greed. It's humans. <laughs> that that Joel has nothing is, at all to do with energy. Uh, what a great so we put great email, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. My name is Mel. Is it? That's Tom. That's true. Robert is a little tiny person on a computer screen way over in the corner, and he's at Cape Cod. Hanging out with the Kennedys. And are you back next week? Yes, I am back. In fact, I'm flying back tomorrow night in a uh, big aluminum tube, and I will be there. I won't. You won't be here because you're going to the Chicago. I will be in Chicago next week, so I will have to be the Robert Skype situation if we want to. Uh, we can make that happen if you get a little thing called the interwebs. I have an internet. I have a, a computatore. Yes. And uh, I can bring a microphone. Excellent. Robert, I want you to remember that uh, when you're flying back here to L.A., that basically you're in a lounge chair traveling at 1,000 miles an hour with one millimeter of aluminum between you and certain death. <laughs> Just want you to know. <laughs> That's what tequila's for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, baby. Talk to you next week, kids. Bye for now. Bye for now.